he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Ultimately, the purpose of all the scriptures, the law and the prophets that I came to fulfill is that you know that there's no other way but through me. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. This is the perfect Word of God, and it applies to every aspect of my life. Then I don't make decisions about how I go forward based on how I feel or based on how my family has been affected. I make decisions based on the perfect Word of God. That's what God's Word claims of itself. In Psalms 18 and verse 30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's Word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. In Proverbs 30, in verse 5, it says, every word of God is flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. In 2 Timothy, Paul describes it in this way in the New Testament. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to think about this. This book, the Bible, was written over a period of about 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents. They wrote in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Those facts alone make the Bible one of a kind. But there are other details that defy explanation. It was written by shepherds and kings and scholars and fishermen and prophets, by a military general, a cupbearer, a priest. That's who penned these portions of Scripture. They had different immediate purposes for writing. Some were recording history. Others were giving spiritual and moral instruction. Others were pronouncing judgment. They composed their works from palaces, from prisons, from the wilderness and places of exiles while they were writing history, laws, poetry, prophecy, and proverbs. And they laid bare their personal emotions. They expressed anger and frustration and joy and love. And yet, despite all of this, despite this marvelous array of topics and goals, The Bible maintains a flawless consistency. It never contradicts itself or its common theme. God's Word is perfect. Now, our heritage, our legacy as a church is, is from the Baptist faith. That's our tribe. And in the Baptist faith, we have a document called the Baptist Faith and Message that speaks to what we believe about the Word of God. I want to read that to you because you just need to understand, this is going to guide everything we do and the decisions we make. Here's what it says. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which a human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ. 
who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Now, why am I saying this? Jesus says, don't for a second think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come that they might be fulfilled. And then notice what he says next. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus was saying, you need to be very careful about thinking that, hey, maybe this part of Scripture doesn't apply to me. Maybe, maybe that part of Scripture doesn't still work. When I was growing up, I remember seeing bumper stickers, and my mom's here on the front row. And I have to tell you, now, when I was growing up, we had a big old Ford LTD. And I don't know what they were thinking, but my parents let me ride in, up in the back window of that Ford LTD. I'm still alive today. Parents today, man, you see them strap children down. It's like they're getting ready to launch them to the moon or something. I mean, nothing could move them. I survived. I remember being in the back of that Ford LTD, and I remember seeing this bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. And that's a good amen at a Southern Gospel concert. But it's not right. It's got one too many phrases. Because here's the truth. God said it. That settles it. What I'm suggesting to you, though, is that when you believe God's word, like Jesus believed God's word, it changes your life. So just to sum it up, Jesus didn't say, hey, the law served a purpose. I'm glad we could use the Old Testament for all those years. But now there is a better way, a new plan. No, what he's saying is this new covenant that I'm going to introduce to you, it's just going to make you hunger and thirst for righteousness more than you ever have. So stay tuned. Jesus reminds us of the person. He then reminds us of the perfection. And then he reminds us of the importance of practicing and teaching the scriptures. Look at verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see those two words? Practices and teaches. This is where Jesus gives us the how. Remember, you are salt. You are light. Get out there and season the world around you. Get out there and shine. Don't put your light under a bushel. But you let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. But, but how, Jesus? Practice and teach. Do the things that you know to do. Now, let me make this real practical. First, I think Jesus was saying, you need to know the Scriptures. You need to know the Scriptures. If you want to know how the Bible speaks about itself, the Word of God, go read the longest chapter in the Bible. It's Psalms 119. 
I read it this morning because it was one of the five psalms in my daily reading plan. Psalms 119, over and over and over again, it, it reminds us the importance of the Word of God. But one of my favorite verses is Psalms 119.11. Listen to what it says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Actually, my mom taught me that and a bunch of other children. She taught that while we were in Bible drill when we were a child. And we were learning and memorizing scripture verses. And I memorized it in the King James. And it, it sounded something like this. I've hidden my, thy word in, in, in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What does that mean? When you have God's word deeply ingrained in your life, then like Jesus, when you face the temptations of the enemy... You're going to be able to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't live by bread alone, big guy. See, when you hide God's word in your heart, you're prepared to take on the challenges of the world. So I just want to ask you, how are you doing with your scripture memory? I suspect most of us are not doing that at all. In the New Testament, it's, it's put this way, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handle the word of truth. Does that describe you? See, I think one of the problems of the church in the world is we face these cultural issues and we know deep within us that doesn't seem consistent with God's word. It doesn't seem like it's right. But we don't know what to say, so we walk away with our tails tucked, and we are ashamed workmen, and we're not salt, and we're not light. So I don't want to just beat you up and not give it practical help to you, so let's do this. I want us to memorize a verse this week. Now, in our church, we're constantly calling you to commitment. This is the first one for today. So I'm about to ask you, get ready. You're either going to sit on your hand or you're going to step out in boldness, all right? How many of you would say, I take the challenge, Pastor. I'm going to do my best to memorize this verse with you this week. Let me see your hands. All right, it's a pretty good showing. I think the majority wins. All right, here's our verse. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. I picked an easy one. When I felt like God was leading us to do this, I wanted something that everybody could relate to. So here it is. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All right? Let's say that together, just for repetition. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, when my mom was teaching us in Bible drill, if we knew the verse, if we had memorized it, we would step forward, and uh, first thing we'd have to do is say the reference. So I'd have to say, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then we'd say the verse. The verse was, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a rest. And then we'd say the reference again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. So I want you to learn the reference, because otherwise, you're going to be comforting somebody in your little corner of the world with this, and you're going to say, you know, the Bible says that when you're burdened and when you're weary and when you need rest, you can come to Jesus. And they're going to say, really? Where does it say that? And you're going to go, oh no. So let's do it that way. Let's say the reference. Let's say the verse and let's say the reference again. Okay. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Take a screenshot, do whatever you need to do, write it down, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, remember it, and let's learn that verse this week. But it's not enough just to know the scriptures. 
Do you know that? You see, again, I'm a nerd. I've been hanging out in crowds like this all my life. We got a lot of knowledge. For most of us, knowledge is not the issue. For most of us, we're not practicing it. And and so here's a way I would say that we're educated beyond our obedience. I mean, some of you've got Sunday school, perfect attendance pins. I mean, you're at church all the time. You can check off the boxes, but you're not living it. And I just need you to know today, just write it down. That's a transition. I'm committed to taking this church through. For too long, we've celebrated just partially what we should be celebrating. We've kind of decided that you're a perfect church member if you show up regularly and if you put something in the offering plate and maybe if you find a place to serve and, and those things are great, but all of that takes place here. The disciples' journey is not simply about what you do when we come together for an hour and a half a week. The disciples' journey is about what you do out there. The difference you make where you live and where you work and where you play. And we're going to start celebrating those things more. Because when we don't, the temptation is to say, man, my life's a little hard. My kids are going through something I didn't expect. So maybe, maybe those things that it says in Scripture don't apply to me. Maybe everybody doesn't have to practice that. I run into people all the time and they say, oh, Brother Paul, I'm just kind of a Sermon on the Mount Christian. I'm just going to do those things that Jesus said. I just just want to be kind to people and loving to everybody. And I want you to be that way. But we don't get to ignore the other parts. When we do, even as well-known church leaders... We walk away from the truth. So this week it, it made national news where that pastor that, man, I've, I've greatly respected for a lot of years. I have a lot of his books. He's, he's shared a lot of wisdom. But this, this pastor in Atlanta, he's, he's hosting a conference for parents of LGBTQ children. And man, that's not a bad thing. Because some of you in here are in that category, and you're living out your faith, and you love Jesus, and you believe his word, but you've, your, your children or your grandchildren, they've espoused a lifestyle that you know is not consistent with truth, and you're, you're struggling. So that's not a bad thing. But in doing that, in, unless they change, because it's coming up here real soon, unless they change it, two of the primary speakers at this conference are, are men who are married to other men. So it's not just, how do I minister to you during this season when when you're doing something, your your loved one is doing something that's contrary to God's word. It it becomes more of an affirming of what's being done. That's what happens when you you hear God's word and, and yet you don't think, maybe this isn't perfect and maybe I don't have to practice that. Oh, parents and grandparents and teachers and and students, we don't get to choose which parts of God's word we think apply to us. We have to practice it and we have to teach it. Parents, I commend those of you who are here 
and you're bringing your families to church. But if you're not teaching God's word in your home, where do you think this generation is going to learn it? Jesus reminded us of the person of the scriptures, the perfection of the scripture, the importance of practicing the scripture. And then he ends with the purpose of the scriptures. The purpose. What is the purpose of the scripture? Well, he he tells us, look down at verse 20, just verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I'm not sure I fully understood that to this week when I dove into this message. Because for a lot of my life, I've heard that and I thought, man, I know, Jesus, you came to give us this new covenant in your blood and we're saved by grace. And yet here, this is you saying, you're not going to make it to heaven unless your righteousness exceeds this. What does that mean? What was, what was Jesus trying to say there? If we read and believe the scripture, this is an impossible task. Perfect righteousness. Was that a mistake on Jesus' part? No, because he says it again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This is what he says. Be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. How do we do this? Do we become like the Pharisees that Jesus preached against? Just make sure we're checking all the boxes because that's, just be very clear. That's what some of you think that you're earning or deserving your way into God's kingdom, that you're climbing a spiritual ladder, and that if you take this mental decision to do your best, that that's going to be enough. I've asked people, All of my life, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And most people will say something like this. We we do bad things and we do good things, but if if the good things in our life, if if they outweigh the bad things, then surely God's going to let us in. And so like Pharisees, you just do your best. And then like Pharisees, you become prideful in it. And they were. In fact, you know... Do you know what the Pharisees would do when they gave at church? When the Pharisee would bring their offering, they would then do this. They wanted everybody to see they had just given their offering. In fact, you may not know it, but that's where we get your tooting your own horn. No, Jesus wasn't saying be like the Pharisees. They obviously fell short. Matthew 23, he's going to describe them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside area are full of bones and dead of everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What is a tomb? It's where you bury dead things. And Jesus is applying implying here that the tomb has what we would call a tombstone and then it's been pressure washed boy it looks good but no matter how good you make a tomb look all it does is advertise there's something dead under here and Jesus was saying that's what the pharisaical life gets you righteousness apart from the righteousness of Jesus is always glorifying to self 
He's not talking about external actions. He's talking about an internal attitude. And that, he says, when you understand that, he says, that's a righteousness better than what the Pharisees have. So how do you get that? (laughs) That's what the whole book is about. The only way you have a righteousness better than the Pharisees is by knowing the person that everything points to. Jesus the Christ. He was one bound by the law. But on a trip to Damascus, Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ, appears to Saul. And the Bible says he fell to his face and he saw that it was the Lord. And it changed his life. In fact, it changed his name. He would later write, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things pass away. Everything's become new. So he began to be known as Paul. And the apostle Paul, inspired by God, wrote a lot of the book that we read. Apart from Jesus, he he may be the greatest missionary and the greatest church planner who ever walked on the earth. And he speaks to this issue in Philippians 3. He says, if anyone wants to have confidence, I've got reason for confidence. If someone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he begins to describe his confidence. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Man, that's perfect. Of the people of Israel, yes. Of the tribe of Benjamin, way to go. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But... Whatever gains were to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then his finale. I want to know Christ and be found in him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings becoming like him even to death. So somehow obtaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it, all this, or I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which God has taken hold of me. See, Paul understood how to have a righteousness better than the Pharisees. You got to look to Jesus. Clothed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne. Paul understood that that salvation in Jesus was personal. He said, I. He understood it was powerful. He said, I want to know the power of the resurrection. He understood that it might be painful. There's going to be losses in my life. But he understood it was purposeful. That's what I want for you.
disciple of Christ on this journey, living it for his glory, making a difference where you are. But it all begins with knowing Christ. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com.